Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined once again by my co-host, Saima. What up, wheelies? And, of course, by the panel of newbies. Say hello, panel. Hello, hello panel. panel. Uh, joining us today, we've got DW. What, what? I see Greg. Yowza, yowza, yowza. Siobhan. Hey, everybody. And Axel. Hello. Um, yeah, we're, we're going to have some fun today. Um, we, we're going to continue our side character deep dives, uh, with, uh, Tuathuan. But, uh, before we get to that, um, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, something that just happened in, in the wheel of time community. Um, um, right immediately before we started recording this episode was mm-hmm. the, uh, what idol song contest on the dusty wheel. Um, and it was, it was absolutely amazing. It was wonderful. And all of the winners absolutely deserve to win. Um, we're going to go through those songs and, and see which ones don't have too many spoilers that we can hopefully share with, with some of our podcast listeners. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really fun time. And, uh, I, I, I have to say Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, um, I, I entered this contest and I was knocked out in the first round and, uh, the, the community kind of rallied around behind me and, and said that, that, uh, my song deserved to be in the finals and they voted me into a wild card slot for the finals and, wild card! and yeah, that, that honestly, it, it's very humbling. It's, it's, it's very touching. I was, I was in tears earlier when, when my video came up, I'm almost in tears again now. Um, yeah, it really means a lot. Thank you to everybody that voted me in. Um, and I can't wait till I can share that song with the rest of you. We look yeah. forward to it. It was fantastic. And all I will say is, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> now you're just rubbing it um, in. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was quite funny because at the end of last episode, uh, Greg made a mention of... of uh, Hallelujah, which is actually the song that I parodied. Um, <laughs> I but I didn't no want to say anything at the time because I didn't want anybody to know that I was actually entering this thing. I had no idea. Yeah, there was yeah. there was no knowledge of forethought. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a really fun time. And, and it was exciting because um, Hamed, who plays Loyal in the show, and uh, Marcus, who plays Perrin, actually showed up and, and watched watched along with the rest of us for a while and Woo-hoo. and uh yeah they they were they were right there with us they were right in the fandom they're engaging with us so you know. that's very cool it's very cool because um hamed actually heard ruach's entry and was so impressed and actually said that they want ruach to be their voice coach so let's yeah. uh, let's make that happen gonna yeah yeah some um, that <laughs> that was a an extreme high point for me uh when, that's awesome when when Hamed said um, that my that my vocals were amazing and I was singing deeper than even he was able to, um, singing deeper than an ogre ogier, I'm 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 going to take that compliment. That's wow. <laughs> so now you're going to do a guest spot on the show as the the first uh, Aiel ogier hybrid. Sure, why not? I've got maybe my- not the first. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I don't think that it, it's a uh, interbreedable species, but yeah, 
I want you I want you to get on the show just so we can argue that wait, no, are we sure that Ruark's character isn't the dragon? <laughs> I'm I'm 20% sure that it's possible. Right. <laughs> you you have no idea how much how funny a 20% joke is right there. Um Oh boy. <laughs> I knew there are jokes I don't know the punchline to. <laughs> Um, yeah, um, I, 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 I'm still kind of just, just delirious from the entire experience. Um, once again, to the entire community out there, thank you from the bottom of my heart. That, that really meant a lot. It was absolutely fantastic. And I, I, I watched it last year, but this year it was so much more fun because I knew so many of the people that had submitted songs, yeah. you know, just following along on Twitter and, you know, various other, just the 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 whole wheel of time community the fandom is just so amazing and also just want to say you know props to dusty wheel um and uh, lauren and all the other people that were involved in organizing it just a monumental effort and yeah i i missed round 1 and round 2 because it was i think started at 1am my time and i just couldn't do it for 3 hours until <laughs> like 4 <laughs> in the morning but today was uh, was a more reasonable afternoon slot so i managed to watch and vote live that was so much fun um but yeah i want to say congratulations to the to the to the three finalists um in third place we had lesbian nerdy with wait for it um can't say too much um <laughs> for the panel but i just want to say i it has as lots of other people said has made me reassess the particular storyline that uh, yeah. that she based her song on yeah, it was, yeah absolutely, uh, absolutely was it a parody or an original um, it, uh, no, the, everything in the contest was a parody. So okay, um, was this a parody of "Wait for It" from Hamilton? Yes, yes, which is one of my favorite songs. So, and, and she, the the, the vocals that Lesbian Nerdy mm. put on that were absolutely phenomenal. I, I could not find a fault with them. And really heart tugging a, a storyline that a lot of people get annoyed with. Um, so, Greg, I'll just say, wait for it uh, until you can ah, listen to I it. See what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> and um, in second place um, was Alyssa with I Will Follow You. Um, and that's the sister act version um, oh, nice. of, of that song. And Alyssa was also, did the vocals for Ruach's um, yes, song too. Uh, oh, uh, excellent. I, I, I need to say big thanks to Alyssa for that. She provided backup vocals for my song um, because you can't do Hallelujah without a gospel chorus behind you. And, this is true. And... She's she's also the one who who poked me and made sure that I I got my entry in because I was dragging my feet and I was saying no it's not going to be any good and I shouldn't bother and she's the one who kept poking me until I finally put this thing together so so for all of that Alyssa thank you so so much and fantastic vocals as well um, and and before you go on to our winner I also want to say thank you very quick to Mike Anderson who had a wonderful song called Alone. Um, Another song that we can't really talk about on this show, but it was fantastic. And uh, Mike Absolutely. actually provided me with uh, the the instrumental tracks on my on my song. Nice. Um, so you know, without Mike and and Alyssa, I couldn't have had my song at all. So most of most of everything belongs to them. They 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 made it happen. I'm just the vessel through which it happened. <laughs> And then congratulations to the winner, Joel, with Turning the Wheel. This one was something in its own. 
song category really it was yeah. a song for the fans about the fans and yeah and um, oh man did that one tug at the heartstrings oh yeah 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 um, um, and i think that's one that we can share with the panel we're gonna hopefully yeah, do yeah. We're, an we're, episode we're, where um, we share some yeah um yeah we will absolutely get permission to share that one with you guys because you're gonna love it. it it's amazing um yeah. And some of the songs um, in the entire contest contest were um, show only spoilers. So, so those that you know, we you can also watch in your own time. But we'll we'll do a list. But yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll put whole... together a list of all the non spoilery songs yeah. for for everybody to to go check out. And actually, that might list. be helpful for other people as well. Maybe we can make that yeah. available on a wider. Yeah. We can post that on social media. But yeah, just congratulations to absolutely everybody. I think there was sixty seven. Yeah, 67 total entries. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Wow. So, yeah. Um, like I said, I'm, st I'm still kind of high from that whole experience right now. So, so my, yeah, <laughs> let's just get into the show. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to talk about, uh, some more of our side characters and dive into, to what's, what they're motivations are what's behind the characters who these people are um and today we're going to focus on um our tuathuan characters um we've got uh first uh, maria doyle kennedy who is playing isla uh, maria is an irish actor um she is known for outlander for orphan black for downton abbey uh for dexter for the tutors for queer as folk um, and digging into this a little further, I found out that she was in the Black Velvet Band and was the original singer for the Hot House Flowers and came up with the name for that band. Nice. She's also yeah. in Commitments. Exactly. Pulling up her IMDb here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Maria, she's somebody that, that we know, even though we might not know we know. And, and yeah, she's amazing in the role. Um, she's playing Isla, who is the wife of Rain. Um, in in the books, Rain is the Mahdi, but in the in the show, they seem to be addressing Isla as the Mahdi, the Mahdi of the Tuathaan, um, who is their their true their group leader, as it were. Um, she is also the grandmother of Aram, one of the other Tuathaan, and uh, kind of a mother to the world, in my opinion. Um, in the books, she's described as plump. And uh, as gray as her husband, but still smooth-cheeked, she usually wears a blue-fringed shawl, which doesn't really fit with who was cast, but I don't really care, because I think Maria did fine and didn't have to fit that, that description in any way. So, yeah. Uh, what, do we, what do we think about Isla? Very maternal. That was exactly um, what I was going to say, that the maternal part of her character really shines through. Yeah, she wants to take care of of her people. And anyone else who happens to come along, very welcoming, very non-judgmental, and just loves everyone. Until, of course, the white cloaks show up. But, but also totally has a past. I feel oh, like yeah. everybody in this group has something that they, you know, and, and I don't know that if you asked her, she would avoid it. I feel like she's come to terms with it as part of being part of the 12th one. Hmm. So let's, let's explore that for a second. Uh, what, what do you think might be in her past that she, she needed to 
join the Tuatha on to to get through? I don't know. I, it's it's hard to tell because they've done a good job of kind of everybody just accepting everybody. So there's no like you can't go off, off of anybody having a judgment on her because of her past. You can't go yeah. off. Of, there are no tells like that. And she doesn't seem, or at least so far, she hasn't seemed strongly to react to anything that would hint that there's, oh, unresolved issues. So right. I, I don't know that I have a lead on what it is, but there's definitely, both the way she's performing the character, both the actress performing the character and the way that the the lines kind of speak, that's somebody who who knows from experience. And has has had some rough times in her past. Well, we we know from the way that Tuathan described themselves that they they are they are not looked upon favorably by by everybody. Like they yeah. they refer to to the slur the travelers that they are or the was it was it tinkers they called themselves. Yes. Yeah. So so right so right there you have a potential source of conflict in her yeah. past. You also have her trauma. So just picking up on what DW is saying about what she's got in her past, she talks about what happened to her daughter. Um, mm. Whether she, there's more to it in her own past before she became a mother, we don't know. But I, there's definitely been that big rupture in her life that obviously made her question the way of the leaf. And she's very on, like, again, like DW said, if you asked her, she'd probably be very honest. She is very honest with Perrin. She talks about what she thought when she came upon her her daughter's body and what she had to go through to kind of reconcile it and to continue moving forward on that path that she's chosen. And that could have been the event that put her on the road. You know, it seems like it's, it's informed by it. Her, her maternal instinct is definitely informed by the trauma. I could see that. Yeah. There's a, to me, it seems like there is a reason why she is looking for, you know, other children to, to mother. She's lost mm. hers. So, you know, there's always, <laughs> there's always orphans out on the road. So of all ages. So are we thinking that there are no natural born to Othuan, that, that everybody comes to the Tuathuan, but they don't spring forth within their own community or, well, or, Considering that they have the tradition of being able to leave the group for a period of time to experience the rest of the world, some probably come back. That seems like a tradition that's been for more than just like one generation, which means there are probably people who've been with this so long that they just consider their ancestry to be Tuathuan. Like any anything that might be outside of that is probably... Uh, so far back that it's not in the oral telling. And I'm doubting that they keep like tight records of who everybody's ancestors were. Yeah. Right. It's not like it's, it's a, uh, like a, a genetically, you know, cohesive nomadic tribe. It's like a traveling circus. It's, you know, a carnival. It's people that have just joined up and people that have been there their entire lives. So, it's it's a combination. What you're saying is they're they're kind of uh, just following the dead. <laughs> yes, following, yeah. following but, Jerry on tour. The yeah, interesting thing, again, kind of like um, how I was saying about how uh, 
you couldn't judge what her history was based on anybody else's reactions. There also doesn't seem to be any like, oh, yeah, well, my family's been with the Tuathwan for five generations. Yeah. You're new to that. Like, there doesn't seem to be a hierarchy based on how long you've been with them, too, which, again, right. doesn't necessarily build a society of putting value on how long you've walked with them. They're all very interesting thoughts. I'm, I'm liking where you guys are 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 thinking with this um there's a there's a scene when the white cloaks come for um perrin and uh Egwene, where the the white cloak basically says these are not your people you pick them up on the road and she's like they've been around our fire they have eaten our food that's what it takes <laughs> that, that's all the requirement needed yeah i just watched that episode last night and yeah that that hit me the same way. It, it, she just, they, they sat at our fire, they ate our food. That means there are people. You know, the, I love that the, the bar of requirement is so very low. There's that acceptance that's immediate, which that falls right in with Isla's, you know, maternal instincts. Yeah. If, if those white cloaks just would stop the posturing and come sit at the fire and, and eat some turnip stew, she would welcome them. Yeah. Take a toke and have some grilled cheese. No offense, but I, I really think the turnip stew is not the best selling point. I mean, maybe, maybe I just haven't had the right turnip stew, but I don't know that that's the opener you want to go with. <laughs> you may have a valid point there. Yeah, food is food, you know, and in a, in a pre-mass production society, turnips are great. Yeah. They re- they, I mean, they were great up until potatoes came along. Yeah, don't uh. be don't be knocking turnips is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to say my personal I'm, feelings on turnips. It, it it's not a, a like untested thing for me. It it is it has been tried and not to my liking. I'm going to say a a home cooked meal and and food given freely with no expectation of anything in in return is to me one of the greatest and most selfless gifts somebody can give. And and this is true. And the fact that they're opening their fires and, and just doing that for anybody, you know, yeah, these are, these are good people. I, I like these people. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. The way of the leaf definitely has a, uh, attractive nature to it. Like you can see parents draw and it makes sense, especially for somebody that has something that they might be, might feel the rest of the world's going to judge them on to be among people who are like, who are very, very vocal about the fact that we will not judge you. Just come here, practice this way. You'll find your path. Yeah, I, I like the fact that that they do seem to kind of attract people who have been traumatized in a way. Um, how how caring and soft touch they are towards those people. How how much they're willing to help them. You know, it's it's not easy to find your way through trauma, and it takes a a, a very gentle heart and a very patient person to to help people through that and yeah just amazing folk all around mm-hmm. agreed so i'd like to ask a question um connecting to what idol the first um <laughs> encounter that we have with uh, the tuatha'an um with perry and Egwene, as they enter quite dramatically and kind of creepily through the mist um and they come upon, and um, Isla asks, do you know the song? And I'm just going to read um, 
what the responses are and then see what the panel think. So Ayala says, do you know the song? And Egwene and Perrin are just a bit, you know, who are these creepy people that have just appeared out of nowhere? <laughs> and um, and then Aram steps in and, you know, kind of like, well, we obviously don't know the this, this song um, and your response should be. And he gives them the response that they need to give, that your welcome warms our spirit as your fire warms the flesh, but we do not know the song. And then Ayala's response to that is, then we seek still, as it was, so, so shall it be, if we but remember, seek and find. And then she introduces herself. So I just wanted to ask your thoughts about what you made of this interaction and um, not just the presentation of it, but, you know, what could it be the meaning? I think partially, uh, you know, check for someone's honesty. You know, if someone says, uh, sure, I know the song, there's <laughs> probably something else in there. And the, then it's, you know, there's another response and they know not to, you know, not to trust this person because they're not necessarily being honest. Uh, if they reply the way that they need to, it's like, okay, this is someone who has encountered, you know, encountered our, 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 either our tribe or another tribe or, you know, encountered us before. So there's some, there's some built-in trust there. And if they're genuinely confused, then it's like, okay, you're a newbie here. Let's show you the ropes. So it, it seems like sort of a screening process. One of, yeah. one of the things you just said, um, the fact that there may be more than one tribe, so they may come across another tribe, and there's probably a response of no, but we're still looking, and like, oh, fellow Tuathuan, and like, like yeah, there, there probably is some communication like that. Yeah. So just sort of get the get the gist of the person. It's like, is this a someone who can be trusted, or someone who knows our ways, or a fellow traveler, so to speak? And then, if I remember rightly, a couple of ep- like either the next episode or later in that episode, they explained the um, the reason, the the, the history, that like the they describe why they're looking for the song, right? The whole point of it, which is really cool. Yes. What do we remember about what they said? What was their reason looking for the song? It's a song that, if if it can be remembered, brings peace to the world, and. They're still looking for it. And then somebody said, well, hey, maybe you guys have found it already. Oh, yeah, this is great. We're all being happy hippies together. It's really nice. <laughs> it's so like, the question- to, to, to keep the dead analogy going, it's like, hey, man, do you have the Black Star tape from the Alameda County concert in 74? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um- <laughs> <laughs> so based on that analogy does that mean there's a different song that each tribe is looking for because each one has one of the songs <laughs> and they're just so trying, trying to, to put the entire the album. album together yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, they, all they all the have tapes. bits of the song you put them all together and you get this monstrous fifth like you know five you, hour you, long you get epic. the ultimate mixtape Yes. Right. Which brings peace to the world. <laughs> yes. You guys are obsessed with Voltron theories. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so like Voltron I'm, song now. <laughs> so it's it's a song that they have lost that's supposed to bring peace to the world. Um I'm I'm guessing it must be by Wild Stallions. Oh man. Uh. <laughs> uh. Yeah, that, 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 that was like that a joke, joke grenade. You know, I pulled the pin, I threw it out there, I waited Excellent. until it 
calculated. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 my reaction excellent. wasn't slow because I didn't get it right away. I got it, and I literally weighed how to respond. <laughs> <laughs> do well, I, I laugh or do I groan? By doing the air guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Party on, dudes. Yeah. Uh, we but to each other. No, no. To be, to be serious, though, uh, do we think that there is a song? Do we think that is this just something that that's lost to the myths mists of time that they don't even know what they're even talking about is this something that did exist at one point is this what are we what were you thinking i have to wonder if uh like several groups religions um people trying to create a purpose I wonder if maybe there either was a hint at a song or if somebody was like, okay, we need to keep moving. Uh, this is what we're going to move. This is why we're going to move. This is what we're seeking. And somebody came up with that. Um, whether or not they came up with that because they had experienced it and wanted everybody to experience it, or whether it was a made-up thing that they just needed to find a reason and they just never told anybody it was made up. Either one is plausible, mm-hmm. but it's that's the vibe I get. Mm-hmm. I just assumed it was an allegory. Like we are searching for a world um, of peace where people don't resolve their disagreements by fighting. And that is the song. Right. Sort of, you know, some biblical allegory, biblical allegories with like, you know, Gabriel and his horn or I heard there was a secret chord that David played. Yeah, I, I was going to say, it, it kind of reminds me in some ways of, of the whole idea of knowing the true name of God mm-hmm. kind of thing. You know, it, it's it's knowing that is supposed to bring peace and blah, 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 blah in, in certain sects and, and religions. And, right, and it just yeah, kind of sounds like a, like a similar type thing. You know, we just need to know the secret chord, you know, the minor fourth mm-hmm. and the major fifth, and then we can, and then we'll have peace again. And, and... Yeah, that's, that, that's kind of how it feels to me. It, it could be a a long folk memory from the time before the Dark One first showed up in the world, when presumably things would have all been great because there was no there was no evil to be had. So there was a song of peace and harmony, or that was, was just there, the way it was before. Yeah, not necessarily. Or, or, a song it's, or it's more of a there. The song is a tribute to the peace and harmony, as it were. (laughs) (laughs) All the music jokes that are coming out of this one. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm going to go take a hit off the bong of destiny here for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) That one is, uh, that that joke is a shout out to Radiopedia, um, another podcaster out there who did that song as, as in, in the song contest. Uh, Tribute. Um, no, but uh, so you're you're kind of saying it. the The idea of the song is a folk memory of just a an idyllic time in the past. Yeah, yeah. Just just to to turn this entire long discussion down to a, a single talking point. <laughs> it could, yeah, it could be. Yeah. <laughs> so going on that point, um, Aram does. You know, he says it's a. He says to Egwene, you know, he obviously. Should, you know, it's very quite disparaging about it. And she says, you don't believe in it. And he says, it's a silly tradition, you know. It was, and it was lost in the breaking. And it was meant to bring peace and harmony to the world when it's found. So, so yeah, so, you know, going on what Axel said, 
there was something, they lost it in the breaking and now it's a, rem, a remnant that's left. And as we know from prophecies that Maureen and Swan have said, that, you know, these memories that have been left, what do we, rem- what, what's been kept, what has changed? But if we believe, if you believe in what Aram, you know, Aram himself doesn't believe in it, but if you believe in it, they've been searching for this song since the breaking. That's a really long time to be in this community. One- and it's one of those things that brings up the question, would they remember it if they actually encountered it? What do they have to test the song? If somebody's like, well, I have this song and they play it and like, yeah, it's not it. Or, or like, do they have to have a debate about it? And I, I think, well, I think that if somebody comes and they think that they have the song, then they have to submit it to Matt Hatch and make it through all, all four <laughs> rounds of, of competition. <laughs> and then that, that's how they find out whether or not there's well, yeah, but without song. internet, how do you vote so easily? <laughs> Carrier pigeon. Ah, yeah, gotcha, go. gotcha. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I kind of figure that if they found, if it, if it was a thing that could be found, people, they, they sing it and you go, oh, I recognize it because boom, I can feel it. Here is the magic of everything is, is peaceful and groovy. And now we just know each need to walk around the world singing this song. And everyone will hear it and go, okay, fuck fighting. Done. World saved. So what I'm hearing is the song is Basketball Jones. <laughs> sure. Whoever Basketball Jones is. <laughs> Basketball Jones is is a hilarious but strangely hypnotic song by... Uh, um, Cheech and Chong. Cheech and Chong, thank you. Um, go look it up after we're done recording. Okay. It, you'll, you'll start out thinking this is kind of dumb and kind of stupid, and by the end you'll just be like, that was so epic. Yes. And, and, yeah. Yeah, there, there's a, a fine line between smart and stupid. Uh, and, and they tow that line so well. When my son was younger, he came up with the term smoopid. And I think that's perfect for <laughs> basketball, Jones. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, moving on. Um, I think we're, we're, we kind of got through Isla there. Let's talk about Rain for a second. I don't think we're going to talk about Rain very long because his, his role was, was pretty small in the show. Um, he was being played by Narinder Samra, uh, who's an English actor. He's done a lot of BBC work. Um, he won the Best Actor for Land Gold Women at Real Heart International Film Fest in Toronto. Um, he's won Best Film at the Internet English and National Film Awards of India. Um, does a lot of BBC radio dramas. So, you know, English people at least know know this this actor quite well. Um and uh, he's, he's, he's Enders and Coronation Street, so yeah, he's um, legit. The double whammy. <laughs> yes, he's playing Rain, husband of Isla, uh, who is uh, ostensibly the uh, the Mahdi of the Tuath One. Um, hey, hey, Brian, I said it wrong again. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, he's described as short, wiry, and gray-haired. That that's kind of the the description that we get. And, and I should add to, to all of these descriptions, the Tuathwan in the books are described as wearing the brightest, most garish colors mm-hmm. in, in the worst possible combinations that you could think of. Like they, they don't care what the color is as long as it's bright. 
and, and they will, yeah, and they will clash them as hard as as they want. Uh, so hippies, yeah, yeah, very yeah. much so. Yeah. Um. So, so what do we think about Rain? Does, do, you know, like I said, he didn't have very, very many speaking lines in, in the, this series so far. But, but did we get any any idea about him? Strongly supportive. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just got a general sense of kind of like. Quiet dignity. Mm-hmm. That yeah. Quiet dignity and strength. Yeah. Yeah. Well, his quiet is kind of left me with, he's the one I feel I know the least about in the whole of the series. That's a like character that we're probably going to see more than once. Yeah. An um, actual named character that might. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I like, I, I, I feel most open with him and it's one of those where looking at it from a literary standpoint, I expect there's going to be, as, as you seed new things into your books, there's going to be things that are attributed to this character that you now know that's, oh, now that person, oh, I remember that name kind of feel. That's what, that's what I'm getting from that character. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll give you guys a little bit of a background in the books. Um, Rain is, is, takes on more of a leadership role of, of this particular band of, of Tuathan. Um, he and Isla are kind of co-leaders of the group, but he is kind of the, the spokesman and she's kind of the, the one who tells him what to say, as it were. Reminds um, it, you know, that they, they have a very traditional relationship in that way. Um, but, uh, um, you know, they, they obviously kind of upended that a little bit in, in the show. And I understand why, because they've been throwing a lot more power into women's hands in the show just to make it so obvious that this is a different world and a different culture than one that we're used to. And, and I, I understand that change entirely. Yeah. I think we touched upon this um, in the conversation we had about gender essentialism that in the show, they're really making it visually really clear as soon as you enter in the first season. And so they've made these little changes to support that. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like rain for me he's kind of gone the way of um, Bran Alvia, that the two of them were the respective leaders of their communities, but they've kind of taken the supportive backseat to their other halves, who are the yeah. women, and they step forward and take on that role. Um, but I really I really liked Rain and, you know, and Narinda, the, the actor. I think like Siobhan said, is he brings that real quiet dignity and a real gravitas and there's that shot when the white cloaks come and Isla's kind of saying to them, you know, we're not going to give up our people. And he's in this at the side and he's just nodding. Like there's this, mm-hmm. you know, it, he's like that real support that, yep, I got you, you know, whatever you say, I'm here and I'm going to support you. And then of course he locks arms with her. It's very subtle. Um, but I, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Quiet strength. Definitely. Yeah, I think that also speaks to the, in TV, you have less room for characters and you don't need two leaders of the of the tribe. Yeah. There's really only room for one, so let's go with Siobhan because she's awesome. Yeah, you, you, you don't need two speaking roles when one will suffice in that yep. position. Yeah. yeah, I think that's about all we have for Rain. Uh, you know, like we said, great character, great gravitas, but you know, not a lot there for us to to sink our teeth into and 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 delve into just yet. Hopefully, we'll see more of him and and get get some more of his background in in the future. Right.
This episode is brought to you by Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. Katie and Jordan have some lovely art they would love for you all to check out. They have custom bookmarks, prints, and even these beautiful book page posters that have passages from some of our favorite fantasy series like Lord of the Rings, A Song of Ice and Fire, and, of course, The Wheel of Time. You all really should check out Four Cats Boutique on Etsy and get yourself some bookmarks and amazing artwork. That's the number four and cats with a K. Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. And I'm just going to move right on to our last Tuathwan, which is Aram, played by Daryl McCormick. Um, he is an English actor, and you will know him from Peaky Blinders, which is a fantastic show. Go watch Peaky Blinders, people. It is so, so good. And not not the least of which, because it has Nick Cave and the Bad Seas as its theme song. <laughs> um, Hearing that is what sold me on it. Kind of, I definitely am going to like this. Yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's brilliant. And Cillian Murphy's great in that too. Yeah. Oh yes. And he is playing Aram's uh, grandson of Rain and Isla, and his description from the books is slender, exceptionally handsome, with dark eyes and a smooth tongue. And I have to say, they nailed that casting <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Aram in 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 the books is is probably one of the like three best looking male characters in in the world. You know, he's 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 a supermodel. You know, the 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 all the girls are are kind of pining over him. And can we can we talk about the change that he's one of the really good looking characters, but also one of the most annoying characters. <laughs> and I love what they've done with Aram. Like, I I can't wait to see him again, if we get to see him again. But even just in the first season, he's such a lovely guy. He's not like that in the books. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he's kind of self-absorbed a little bit in the books, I would say. And he knows that he's yeah, really good looking, yeah. you know, it's like narcissistic. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he seems to have a little bit of that. There's a confidence there that... I don't know if it's really earned or not, but he's, uh, yeah. he is a, he is a confident person and, uh, yeah, it, is it misplaced? I don't know yet. You know, he seems to be able to back up what he, you know, he walks the walk as well as talks the talk. But I like how he flirts with everyone. That's like, true. He's, oh. he's kind of flirty with Perrin and Egwene. There's just that real yes. kind of. Like his confidence and affability and amiability, a little flirty. I think Aram flirts with everybody. It's I think it's his default setting. Yeah. Right. Exactly. He may not have been actively flirting with Perrin, but he definitely wasn't not sir, not flirting. <laughs> <laughs> not, not necessarily flirting with intent, but <laughs> yeah, right. But it's a, a comfortable flirting, right? Comfortably flirting with everyone and everything, which mm-hmm. is non-threatening in a sense. You can right. kind of le- lean into it without worrying about where it could go. I do wonder if there's a bit of like n- the knowledge that Perrin might not be receptive, so I'm not going to spend too much time in that way. Because again, without the, the without the negativity of it, it's still you know, is it wasted energy if you know the person isn't interested at all? I really like the the flirtiness with Aram there um, because if you're following a way of peace and and mediation and non-conflict, 
flirting with everybody you see is a good way to make them not want to have conflict with you. Cause it's very hard to have conflict with somebody who's like, you have beautiful eyes. <laughs> True. <laughs> you know? <Yeah>. Yep. <laughs> and he I seems do- like he's the diffuser as well. Yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. When, when, when they first meet them and they're all kind of in this formal standoff and he's like, well, obviously they don't know the song. <laughs> Otherwise they would have <laughs> said something by now. <laughs> and also, oh, you're pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I do get a sense of mischievousness off him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's definitely a twinkle very in those charming. eyes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, so what do we think about Aram's interactions with Egwene? I think Rand's got a moment to be jealous over. <laughs> Whether or not Egwene wants it, I think Rand is going to, at some point, encounter this, see this, and it's going to be a thing for him. Hmm. Okay. Whether or not, you know, <laughs> whether or not he gets flirted with, you know, Aram flirts with, with Rand. That actually um, may be oh. the diffusion, diffusion to the situation, because if, if he's reacting to Egwene, whether or not Egwene is giving anything back and he starts to get jealous and <laughs> suddenly he's being flirted with that might kind of, because again, they don't have any type of hostility towards that idea in this, in this world, which is lovely. So it might right. actually diffuse the city. Like, Oh, Oh, you just act this way with everybody. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I, I was wondering if I should tell this story while you were saying that or not, but I've, I've been on Aram's side of that exact situation once. Um, I was at a party and I was introduced to somebody and, and I found them rather attractive. And I said, you know, some, something slightly lascivious along the lines of, oh, well, hello, or something, you know, very, very forward like that and uh the next person i was introduced to was this person's husband which i didn't realize the person was married when i said that (laughs) so my response to being introduced to the husband was well hello (laughs) (laughs) and 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 yeah the the entire situation diffused right then and there so i had a very similar situation where i an old friend (laughs) of mine walked up to me and i picked her up and spun her around in a very very more flirtatious kind of because that was just the friendship we'd had and Uh that's when when i set her down she introduced me to her new boyfriend and so i picked him up and spun him around (laughs) (laughs) so yeah very why are we friends again rock i i I can't yeah i i can't figure it out (laughs) nothing in common no no. I, i have i have a similar uh, story, but it wasn't, it wasn't me actually doing it, but I encountered the Aram type and it's become sort of a, sort of a legend among my friends. Um, a friend of, a friend of ours was having a birthday and a surprise party was being put together. So everybody met at her parents' house and there was, uh, you know, people were meeting each other. It's like, how do you know, you know, how do you know that you're them and, you know, from work, uh, you know, et cetera. And there was one guy named Enrique who came up to everyone and was very flirty with everyone and was just sort of the life of the party. And uh, my friend's, uh, whose birthday it was, her sister was a little, you know, a a little suspicious. It's like he doesn't seem to give a good answer as to where he knows everybody from. So (laughs) the, the birthday girl got there. She's... Crying in surprise, her sister grabs Enrique and brings do you know this guy? And she's like, no. And she just bum rushes him out of the party. And everybody's like, 
what the hell just happened? So for the rest of the <laughs> night, we're toasting Enrique. So every time we always get together, there's always a toast to Enrique. So Aram is the Enrique of this show. So Aram, Aram is now Enrique. All right. Yes. Although I feel if Aram showed up at the party, he would have been invited to stay. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah. true. Well, you know, at that party, there was probably at least one person like, but hey, I liked that guy. <laughs> I know. I, I, I was like, I was talking to my wife later. It's like, did he flirt with you? She's like, yeah. He's like, he flirted with me too. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um. So, so do everybody we think- loves Aram. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Just like Enrique, and Aram yeah. loves everybody. <laughs> yeah. Do, do we think that Aram was was flirting with Perrin also? I think there was an element of that, but at the same time, I think he caught on very quickly that Egwene was not interested because yeah. there's the point where they're sitting looking at the stars, mm-hmm. and he starts asking her about the person that she's obviously obsessing over, mm-hmm. and it's. It's gentle. It's very gentle the way that that he you know draws that out of her, yeah. mm-hmm. which is why I think he 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 does. It's it's also a very comfortable flirting because, like the stories you've all told, even if you're with somebody else, or your heart is with somebody else. It's just the way he is. It's his way of approaching the world, which could also yeah. be trauma related, yeah. right? Like Ruark said, if you've if you're you know. If you're being persecuted as a community, that could be a way to deal with it, to disarm them. And then you just end up being like that with everyone, even the people that, you know, that you're safe with. Yeah, and, and it, I mean, it can also be a behavior that just happens because that's the way you interact with the world. So somebody who doesn't behave like that very often at all, <laughs> right? <laughs> Wookie? Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Um, so I mean, that, that, that's sort of the thing when, when it's an instinctive, um, a kind of a style of instinctive flirtation, it's not, it, it's not a threatening thing because there isn't an intent to like, it's not focused. There's no goal behind it. Right. Yeah. Like it's not it's flirting not like with the intent to of get everybody to get lucky. The bed. Yeah. It's yeah. just flirting because that's your communication style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. what I and, mean by non-threatening and yeah. comfortable. Like yeah. that really comes across from him. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And that that's I mean, that was my read on him. Is that that's just that's his communication <laughs> style. That's how he works. That's how he is with everybody. And it's not and so it's it, it's it's comfortable because it's there there because it's not intended to achieve anything beyond having a good time and having everyone or everyone enjoy themselves and feel comfortable and happy and valued and appreciated. It it probably helps Aram a lot to come across as non-threatening, given that he is very young-looking. He's got a very you know slight build; like he's not short, but he's not a big hulking guy. <laughs> so he can come across as non-aggressive in his flirtatiousness much more easily than someone who's non-aggressive, but also not passive. Is he's got a very, uh, a, a very active uh, engagement with other people. So, do we think that there was any jealousy on Perrin's part? No, I didn't read any. Yeah, no. 
And I'm going to use that as further evidence for my my uh, yeah. conspiracy theory that uh, Nynaeve was just seeing things when she claimed that Perrin and, and Egwene, uh, that Perrin was holding a candle for Egwene, because I think in that situation, he would have been very jealous of Aaron. Right. Well, I can't blame Nynaeve for anything. I blame the writers. Leave Nynaeve <laughs> out of it. It was a writer's fault. <laughs> but yeah, I completely agree. She with knew it. what she said when she said it. <laughs> the writers she's not bad. She's forcing just the words into way. her mouth. <laughs> but um, but but just coming coming back to Aram's way of being, um, I, I'm really intrigued to you know to find out at some point. I'm sure in the future, will will there be documentaries and more talks about the characters? That is this something that the writers had been quite specific about, or was this a slant that Daryl took in the way that he he read Aram and the way he wanted to present him and being this very, you know, flirty with everyone? Like I, I want to, I, I, you know, my answer to the question is: Was he flirting with Perrin? Was yes, he was flirting with Perrin. Like mm-hmm. I, I love seeing it that way, and the fact that you can you can build a case for it. And I would love to find out if that was something that Rafe has built in to Aram's character or if that is something that Daryl took. Um, and either way, I, I love it. I, wherever mm-hmm. it came from, I love it. And um, yeah, just another reason to love the show. So <laughs> so what I'm hearing here is Aram is, is kind of a, a sleeper fan favorite. Yeah, we're, we're, so. we're really oh, yeah. hoping to see more of him. Oh, yes, very much oh. so. Um, it's delightful. <laughs> yes. Uh, and not just to look at. He was delightful in all ways. And then um, could we look at a different side of Aram as well? So we've talked about, you know, his flirty and mischievous. Um, I, I, he can walk away from me all day long. I'll, I'll keep looking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not what you meant. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so to watch so- him go, but I love to watch him leave. <laughs> <laughs> So there, there was that whole interaction with the White Cloak. I mean, you have these people who are um, avowed pacifists linking their arms to protect people that they've just met from a group that they know. Obviously, very clearly, these people have no no qualms about beating them up. And yeah. um, Aaron grabs Perrin Egwene and tries to help them get away. Like, they just... All of the characters in the Tuathon just threw themselves into that strategy of we will protect these people. We don't know who they are. Mm. We don't care. Yeah. Yep. We have accepted them and we will yeah. do everything we can to help them. And, and, you know, that's exactly the kind of community that these people with, with, that are trying to deal with their trauma need. They need just that unconditional support. And, and right. you know, they're showing them that. So. And probably when each of these people joined the community, they were being persecuted by somebody and were given that protection. So that 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 pass it on philosophy is going to be in existence. So I wanted to ask the panel some thoughts about when Aram's talking to Egwene and he says that when the Tuatha'an youth reach the age of 20, they go out into the world to see what how the other side live. Mm-hmm. And he says something about, you know, some become farmers, some sail. And he says something like, some even take up arms. Like, you know, that's the complete opposite of the Tuatha'an way. And I can't remember, but it wasn't made clear that, I'm assuming Aram is over 20 and he's done it, but he doesn't really share 
how he'd found it. Or whether right. he's maybe just under 20. Um, but but just that whole concept of going out into the world to decide, to choose whether to right. come back to the Tuatha and way of life. What did we yeah. make of that? Well, it, it seems like that that really makes it so that there's a choice. It is a choice to join the Tuathan, whether you are out in the world and you come upon them and are like, okay, I want to, I want, this is the life I want to live. You're making that choice. If you grew up in it, you don't have a choice in it. So allowing, allowing the, the kids to go out and, you know, sort of like the, the idea of Ron Springer with the, the uh, Amish and, uh, you know, Pennsylvania Dutch communities in the U S at least, uh, where they do, kind of go out and see what what the outside world is like. They've been in this cloistered environment for their entire lives, um, you know, without any of the, you know, no electricity, no phone, no TV, that sort of thing. Uh, but just to go out and see what's out there. And if you decide it's for you, no harm, no foul, go enjoy. Uh, if you see that it's not for you, Welcome back. You know, you, you're part of our community. And, you, you know, and when you choose it. So, uh, I think it's, it's the choice aspect that really makes it a, a you know, it's, it's a community that everyone who is there wants to be there. Yeah. It, yeah, it's I rare that you get a community with 100% buy-in. Right. Yeah, and and I was going to say you really need that level of commitment because it doesn't strike me that outside that their interactions with outsiders are always going to be or are not always going to go well. So like that can right. be a very difficult yeah. life. Yeah. So you have to be a hundred percent committed in order to maintain that pacifist ideal. To eat turnips for the rest of your life. To yeah. eat turnips for the rest of your life. Yeah. And by having that choice, it also keeps the core community incredibly strong, mm -hmm. right? So when you are, you know, like Siobhan's saying, when, when you meet resistance, you, you the, the white cloaks, you meet conflict, everybody's completely committed. Everyone locks arms immediately because they've gone through that whole process of really choosing to commit to the values of this community. And therefore, again, no matter who joins that community, their past is forgotten and nobody's judged. And, there's no hierarchy, right? There's right. not the king and then the soldier and then the farm hand, or the stable hand. Everybody is equal and everybody will be protected with the same amount of vigor. Um, I love that concept. Yeah. And what, what Rurik was saying about the community with 100% buy-in, that's something you don't, you don't see in, in, in the world. You know, people are, you know, by their circumstances of birth, uh, They've got their their communities, and it's it's a whole different thing to have a community of choice. Um, there, there's a there's more of a there's definitely more of that uh, that loyalty and that commitment if you've made the choice. If if you don't have a good family at home, a store bought family is just fine, kind of mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, yep. in some cases even better. Anybody else have any more loose change in relation to the Tuatha on? They are fierce when they need to be. Mm -hmm. 
Like I love the whole, you know, scene with the white cloaks. I mean, Isla really takes that punch, right? Yeah. And yet they're all just immediately they're there, right back and on their feet. Yeah. It's I I think you know I, we talked you probably talked about it a lot in the episode deep dive, but anybody that thinks pacifism is pathetic, like that was that demonstration that mm-hmm. shows you something that we don't get a lot. Yeah, that perspective. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean that that was sort of reminiscent of the nonviolent protesting in the uh, the American Civil Rights Movement in the fifties and sixties. Yeah, uh, so. yeah. I mean, you th- you think of the, you know, the the dogs and the hoses and the truncheons and yeah, you know, everybody just got right back up. Yeah, but Selma, Birmingham, uh, th- that's you know th- that's that ideal of the nonviolent protesting that I think the Tuathon are embodying yeah. pretty well. Very much so. And I think with that somber statement, uh, we can wrap up that episode about the Tuatha on. And so, question for the panel: Since you all seem to be unanimously agreed that we are seeing these named characters returning at some point in the show, how do you think we might see them? Um, taking into consideration that the dragon has been reborn, there is a battle with the dark. How might the Tuatha on play into that grand scheme of things? I kind of see uh, wherever Rand is going on his travels, he's going to run into him. Um, I, I have a feeling that somewhere out in the out in the prairies and the plains, Rand will come across them and have an encounter. And whether or not you know he finds out that Perrin and Egwene were with them or not, there's going to be a there's going to be an an encounter of some sort. I don't know how that's going to change the story or change Rand or his quest, but uh, yeah, it'll. I, I think that's how it'll should, how it'll happen. Okay. I could see them being kind of a a moral center that Rand bounces off of, you know, because they very much provided. Um, Perrin Egwene, we, we talked about this earlier in the mental health episode. They kind of gave them a break from everything that was going on, gave them a chance to kind of process what had happened to them before then moving on and getting back into the, the events. So mm-hmm. I could see them being that role for yeah. other characters in the story. Ran That's true. And Matt and anybody else who kind the, of needs they're, that. They're kind oh, of the, the resting waypoint. Yeah. Rest, rest oh, your head Matt, weary traveler. Matt should they are the yeah. medics of the uh, battle. <laughs> the mental the health battle. medics. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and possibly physical health medics. I mean, I could see them definitely saying, we have to be a part of this because it's happening around us, but we're going to be in a supportive role. We're not going to fight, but we'll take care of the people who do. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. remember that uh, that wound that uh, that Perrin had. Uh, I know it was licked by the wolves, but it there could have been some additional healing going on by the Tuathon as well. Yeah. So with that, I think we've uh, pretty much exhausted our our 
stock of things to talk about with the Tuathuan in this episode. Um, I actually tried to throw out of this uh, two or three times, and they kept coming up with more stuff to say. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, this time I think we're really done, and uh, it's time to move on to Mailbag. Hi, I'm Dr. Pengalod. What seems to be ailing you today? Doc, it's the strangest thing. Every night after I've gone to bed, just as I start to drift off, I start yelling out strange words like Shire, Frodo, and Gollum. Last night I even yelled Mordor. I really don't know what to do. Ah, yes. I've been seeing this a lot lately. What you're experiencing is called Tolkien in your sleep. It's caused by an acute Lord of the Rings deficiency. Tolkien in my sleep? Oh no, that sounds serious. Don't worry, don't worry. It's really common right now. It can be treated with a very simple prescription. Here, take this. It's called Watch Party Lord of the Rings. Watch Party Lord of the Rings? It's a great podcast where they talk about everything related to Lord of the Rings. They go deep into the lore, talk about the film trilogy, old cartoon adaptations, and Amazon's Lord of the Rings series. Listen to it once a week and you'll stop Tolkien in your sleep in no time. Side effects of Watch Party Lord of the Rings may include happiness, giggling, merrymaking, jollification, witty banter, inner peace, enlightenment, and excessive Tolkien while awake. Caution, Watch Party Lord of the Rings may be addictive. Mailbag. 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 Uh, this is from our friend Stephen, uh, who has written in before. Uh, he hey, says, Dear, Hello, Stephen. Dear Ruark, Saima, and the panel, uh, thanks for answering my question about Lord of the Rings. I'm very excited to hear about your upcoming Rings of Power episodes. A few weeks ago, Alice wrote in and said she re-listens to podcast episodes, and I must admit that I've done the same thing for a few key episodes. One such instance was when Ruark admitted to deliberately misleading the panel with careful wording, although I couldn't figure out what it was. There was an interesting comment uh, you were discussing loyal, and it came up that the Ogier might view humans as pets. This made me laugh. But then I remembered Loyal's story about arriving in Tarvalon. The mob chased him with knives knives in quotes uh and he almost began to get a little upset (laughs) it sounds like how we humans would handle a startled pet cat it's trying to hurt us with its claws but only out of fear and you don't really take it seriously it's so adorable how they're trying to claw out her eyes yeah yeah oh poor thing so so yeah yeah, Stephen, I think you're you 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 you're bolstering my argument that we are just pets for the 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 Ogier. Thank you for that. Um, and then he goes on to say one final comment to leave you with: If Tom and Lan are the two halves of Strider and Aragorn from from our last episode, are Matt and Pat and Fane the two halves of Smeagol and Gollum, with the dagger being the ring? Ooh. Oh, nice theory. Hmm. Could be. What do we think? I like that. Padden Fane's a little more charismatic than Gollum. At least <laughs> at this in this stage of his uh, ownership of the knife. Right. And it doesn't seem like there's an obsession. It seems more like, oh, the knife. Cool. Ooh, you shiny. know, not like I must have my precious. We'll we'll so see what that, that looks like. Of the wheel. Yeah, right. We, we'll see what that looks like by uh, season five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Stephen just finishes up with thanks. So uh, thank you as well, Stephen. Thank you for writing in and uh, great, great theories. Of, uh, I love it. Yes. Yeah. I can't thank share you. my answers for reasons obvious, but uh, yeah, great, <laughs> yeah. great connections. <laughs> yeah. 
And we got another message from our friend Brian. Um, we know Brian. He's he's the one who likes to uh, correct my pronunciation of things like Tuathuan. Um, and yeah, I can't resist that bright, shiny red button. I, I have to say it that way now that I know that it bothers you, Brian. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, Brian uh, sent me a message and he said, hey, I've been meaning to reach out to you and let you know how much I appreciate your sharing your personal experiences with mental health and trauma. And how much I respect your courage for putting your story out there. The same goes for your panel and the personal stories you've all shared. You didn't have to do that, and the podcast would have been just fine if you'd stayed on the sidelines. But I totally respect you for being so brave and open, and thank you. Uh, so, very yeah, well. Brian, um, thank you so much. Um, I'm, I'm sorry for pushing that little red button, but I'm going to keep pushing it. <laughs> thank you, Brian. And uh, keep correcting them. Keep correcting them. <laughs> the lines are drawn <laughs> in the spirit of the tuatha on <laughs> are, are we turning brian you. into our own personal uh grammar white cloak is that what i'm hearing yeah we should everyone should have one <laughs> says the person who is one for too many people and they don't want me to be there <laughs> <laughs> And, and I'm, I will take the opportunity right now to immediately say, I am so sorry for comparing you to a white cloak, Brian. That, that was uncalled for, but still funny. I had to, I had to get the joke in there. Um, yeah, and with that, I think uh, I, I am punchy right now. I, my, my brain is jello. I've, I, I, I just watched uh, three hours of, of song finals and then launched directly into recording of this. <laughs> Uh, it's been wheel of time since I woke up this morning and, and I am about to, to turn into a pumpkin. So, or a turn. We'll, uh, we'll reschedule differently next time, yeah. <laughs> next year. <laughs> With that, we want to say thank you as always to Michael and Jen out of the secret watch party Island headquarters. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Michael secret Island. And final question for our panel. How long do you think you could travel with the traveling people? Now, I, I could walk with them for a period of time. I actually find the philosophy very attractive and, and the conversations around the campfire would be right up my alley. But I, I and I apologize to any vegans or vegetarians that I, uh, you know, that are listening. I have several friends who are, I respect their choice. I do not want a life without the occasional burger or steak and that that would I, i'd be like stealing food from the dogs at some point <laughs> they'd catch me and get mad well i don't know they might not get mad at me it's <laughs> just like oh well um but yeah so I, I could do it for a period of time but yeah i think the the vegetarianism would be a uh would, would eventually drive i you could around. do it for a time there are some yeah. lovely dishes that don't involve meat and i i enjoy them but eventually yeah the cravings would take me I think I would be very enthusiastic about it at the beginning. Um, and the whole idea of taking a little break with a bunch of people who are so supportive and kind of, you know, community would be incredibly appealing. And then something would happen to piss me off. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not kidding. I have zero chill. I would get thrown out. <laughs> <laughs> I think I could quite happily stay there forever. Uh, it seems like a, yeah. Well, okay. much like DW, I think my biggest, uh, my, my biggest issue with them would be 
the veganism. Uh, <laughs> you know, we've been comparing them to the Grateful Dead and, you know, the deadheads who follow everybody around. And the idea of vegan grilled cheese all the time, no. No, not for me. I don't think I could do it. Saima? I think I um, have grown into a much more mellower person than I used to be. Um, when I was younger, I probably would have needed to go to the Tuatha on for some anger management therapy. Um, now I think there's still an aspect of that, but I would really enjoy. And I, and I think we talked about this in one of our um, disability conversations in the group that I think the Tuatha on would be really um, accessible. Like they'd make me a really awesome wagon that I could get around in. I'd have very comfy seats that I could see everything as we were traveling. I don't like the idea of being part of a persecuted community, but apart from that, I'd really enjoy it. However, when it comes to my moon time, I need my meat. So they would just have to accept that since it's a natural biological process I have no control over. And um, I would have to, they'd have to, you know, the dogs would have to share the meat and mine would have to be cooked. And I'd, yeah, I would need my burger. Apart from that time of the month. So, so one okay burger a month and, and, and you're. Yeah. You're well, maybe f during the week, I just need to be. So, so one week of burgers each month. <laughs> yeah. And you're not in. too bad. Okay. Yeah. And I think they would be, they would be fine with that. They would just be like, okay, that's just what she needs. Then that's fine. So Because uh -huh. the alternative would be unpleasant for everyone. It so. really would. It yeah. really would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ruach, how long could you live with the Tuatha'an? Who? <laughs> the Tuatha'an. <laughs> what now? I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know who you're talking about. Tuatha'an. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> not not ringing a bell. Tuafahan. Uh, nope. Nope. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know who you're talking about. Sorry. Oh, one day you are all gonna laugh so much. <laughs>